The following presentation represents the opinions of Tracy Turner and her guests to the show and website. The information presented should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Tracy Turner is a licensed clinical mental health counselor supervisor with over 25 years of experience working with families who have children suffering from complex developmental trauma. Tracy uses counseling psychology modalities such as movement therapy, yoga, EMDR, and a deep spiritual perspective. Join us today as Tracy shares her techniques, knowledge, and guidance to bring more forgiveness, gratitude, and joy into your daily life. Hi there, and welcome to another edition of Reactive Attachment Disorder Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Holly Kyle, and with me today, we have two, two folks with us. We have Tracy Turner, licensed clinical mental health counselor supervisor based out of North Carolina, and we have a special guest today, Dr. Janet Courtney. Uh, Dr. Courtney is a licensed clinical social worker with PhD and the founder of First Play Therapy, which is an infant mental health and developmental play therapy model. She's also the founder and editor of First Play Cafe, an e-magazine for parents in that womb to six years old age range. And she's the director of developmental play and attachment therapies incorporated. She's a registered play therapy supervisor, a TEDx speaker, and past chair of the Association for Play Therapy Ethics and Practice Committee, and past president of the Florida Association for Play Therapy and former chair of the Viola Brody Award Committee. She's done a lot, folks, and we are so excited to have her here today. Welcome, Janet. Uh, we're so happy to have you. I'm going to let the two of you uh, jump into conversation, and uh, I'll jump in as, as I need to, as I have questions that I think we ought to answer. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the invitation. Welcome. Yeah. So, Janet, as we were starting to talk a little bit earlier about just all your passions and ways of um, helping parents and children connect really right forming that healthy attachment um really would love to just you know pick your brain and talk and have you just talk about what your passion is and how you see that working and how touch and storytelling um plays kind of a vital part in your work um, mm -hmm. yeah well very good well in the last few years i've kind of gotten interested in infant mental health and that's what my first play therapy model is all about but I'd like to point out that infant mental health starts in the womb. Yes. You know, we like to think that attachment starts, you know, after we're born, but that attachment relationship and the connection between the parent and the baby starts within the womb. Actually, really truthfully, it starts at conception yes. because we try, to, we try to think about, well, you know, what's really happening around that, you know, time when, you know, the baby is you know, when conception happens. So then after, let's say, you know, the baby's born. So how do we help that parent uh, to attach, you know, to bond with the baby and attach? And I think probably you know that we separate out the terms of bonding and attachment, where we say the parent bonds and the infant attaches. And the way that I like to, um, you know, offer through my model is through touch and storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I call it like, what kind of touch? It has to be a certain kind of touch. So it's gentle, nurturing touch. And how do we do it? We do it through storytelling. 
I, it's a manualized program where the practitioners learn how to guide parents to provide that gentle touch through, um, a, it's called the baby tree hug. So we pretend the baby is a beautiful tree. And I love that because to think of a tree, it's universal throughout the world. So no, what culture you are, wherever you are, the baby tree hug story kind of crosses those cultural barriers. But anyway, so, I mean, just to talk about touch, if you want me to talk about that a little bit, um, I've really kind of dived into this topic at a deeper level because I wanted to understand it from an ethics point of view. I wanted to understand it from a therapeutic point of view is touch healing, Mm -hmm. but I also wanted to understand it from a neurobiology point of view, from a neuroscience point of view. So in that, I've been able to kind of go and kind of meet different people that I know are doing research in the area of touch. And one of them being Tiffany Field in Miami. She has the touch, Institute, research institute down there at the University of Miami. I was able to go down and do some training with her. And to my joy, I was able to go into the NICU. They were, I was able to touch a little tiny little preemie baby and learn how they're providing um, nurturing touch to them and the research they're doing down there. One of the things that have came out of that research is regarding um, cortisol and oxytocin. Mm -hmm. And this is relevant even for older children. So I'm telling you this, but you know, about babies, but it's also relevant for older children. So what happens is if the stress hormone is known to be in the body and we're able to provide a good caring touch and the touch has to be, and, and there's a caveat, two caveats to that. One is the touch has to be at least 30 seconds long. And the other one is the parent has to be in the most um, kind of calm and centered place as possible before they provide the touch. But if there's cortisol in the body and they provide that touch, simultaneously, the cortisol will go down and the oxytocin will be released. And what we know about oxytocin is that it's called the love hormone but it's also called the attachment and bonding hormone. So anyway, so I will say that even we know this for babies and the research has been done, but even for older children, sometimes parents have an anxious child and they say, well, how can I help my child when they're you know, anxious and they're stressed out? And you know, we say, oh, just give them a hug. Well, mm-hmm. yes, it really is true for a parent to be able to give a hug to their child can help to lower that stress. But there's three caveats to that. First, the child has to be willing to receive the hug from the parent. Um, It has to be at least 30 seconds long in order for the oxytocin to be released. And also the parent has to step back and get them themselves in as much of a caring, nurturing, centered place to be able to give that hug to that child. Yeah. So anyway, I've been kind of blabbing on and on. Yeah, no, that's great. It's all those and those are that's so critical. And I and I I love. I always say to parents, you know, how a child was conceived 
and all the experience that happens in utero and the birth experience are pretty much, I and my world kind of lay down the foundation for uh, that child's ability to create a sense of safety and security and, 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 and attachment. Right. And for the parent to be able to bond with the child as well. Um, so it's interesting, you know, when you talk about um, I love the, the three caveats of the child needs to be willing to receive the, the touch. I mean, the hug, say, for example, mm -hmm. that is 30 seconds long and that the parent needs to be centered. And so um, you so I talk with parents and I tell them the same thing. And I love your vocabulary because it's a little bit different. Right. I always say I say to the child, the child's homework is you have have to be willing to ask and receive three hugs a day. I want the child to reach out and ask, hey, mom, can I have a hug? Or they, or if the parent says, hey, it looks like you could use a hug, that they're willing to receive that, right? So that's sort mm -hmm. of where I'm kind of working with them to be able to do that, which is sort of your first caviar. And then, um, so the 30, so what are your thoughts on, sometimes I'll say parents, it's not so much a hug, but it is like, I always encourage parents to kind of to touch their child like on the shoulder or between the shoulder blades and it's just a firm it's not mm -hmm. a squeeze it's not a it's not a like uh what do you call it? a petting um it's not a patting it's just right. like it's just a weight it's just a nice weight of kind of going it's not pushing the child down but it's a weight of like hey i'm here i've mm -hmm. got your back i'm just gonna breathe with you for 30 seconds i haven't given it time so that's lovely to have to recognize Beautiful. Um, I love how you're kind of grounding it further for what does that really look like? Right. You know what? Yeah. It has to be a certain type of touch. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, the um, I like that when you said it, it like a sustained touch. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, you're right. If we're just kind of hugging them and then just patting their back, sometimes that's not going to get it. So if we're, we're going to be in a good place. I'm going to offer that hug. I'm going to hold them in a caring, nurturing way and sustain that hug mm -hmm. and, you know, just be calm with it and then just breathe. And cause you know, you know, a lot of the, the work is the dysregulation of breath. So if I can, you know, if the parent can get in touch with how they're breathing. Okay. Yes. And then they can, you know, because they can co-regulate their child at that moment so that they can help the child's, you know, to calm, and then the child's breath comes, because sometimes when they're dysregulated, they're anxious, the, the breathing gets all out of, all out of whack at the moment, and so, right. but a lot of it is, has, you know, and we hate to put so much pressure on the parent, you know what I mean, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's up to you, and you're the one, but again, it, it does start there, even for the infants, and by the way, before we guide the parent, we don't touch the infants. We guide the parent how to provide that good caring touch to their babies. But we also teach them first is how they ask permission from the infant. And they also have to kind of then read the cues from the infant for the readiness for touch versus I'm not ready for touch. So we teach the respect of the child starting at day one. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so here's the tricky thing with a lot of the kids that, that I work with, they're, they don't have the opposite, they're, they're, they're zero to three, four, five, six years of experience have been neglect, failure to thrive, abuse, um, in utero, uh, drug use, alcohol mm -hmm. use. So, and then they get, then they get adopted by these lovely parents and you have this kind of wild, feral child and you sort of say, I'm supposed to hug 
when this child's like pushing away and kind of like, you know, like mm -hmm. spitting like a little dragon spitting fire literally um, and, and just really pushing the parent away. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what are your thoughts? I, I talked to parents about like eye contact, right? Like being able to kind of just, you know, kind of be able to say, hey, I'm still your mom, I'm still my child, still love you, I'm still here. To almost like treat the child as if they're kind of like the wild feral cat underneath the deck, the you know, mm -hmm. and you have to yeah. kind of kind of coax them out to figure out ways and how do I help the parent regulate themselves so that they can be centered to continuously kind of like Groundhog Day, constantly mm -hmm. being able to provide an invitation to say, hey, I'm here, I'm, I'm able, I'm willing to, to give you that healthy, nurturing touch when you're ready. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of times at that point, parents are kind of like, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> you know, it's very, very hard. And for a parent, it's very painful. Yeah. You know, it's very upsetting when you do want to try to connect with this child and then they're pushing you away. But, you know, that's been starting in those pre-verbal years that we won't even even know about in the case that, you know, situation right. you're talking about um, their internal working model, you know, that they learned very, very early yeah. that life, you know, that they didn't get the safety. They didn't get the good first play type of joyful activities of the mm -hmm. eye contact and someone welcoming them into this world, you know? So it's very sad because that internal working model is still with them, even though now we have somebody else that's trying to provide them those mm -hmm. really good, wonderful, loving experiences that, that they, they, they've never had. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, I don't know how much time we have, but very quickly, yeah, and then we got Remember, time. I had this mother. <clears throat> she was a single mom, and she adopted a, a a child from another country. And the the child was about, I think, twelve months old when she finally adopted her and was able to bring her home. And so then, uh, twelve months to eighteen months, somewhere around there. But anyway, she came to me when the the child was four years old. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, she was having night terrors and she, you know, there was, a, you could see that there was not they never really attached and, and bonded at the time. There was a struggle in the relationship. And so the mom, you know, was just telling me the story. The daughter wasn't there for this first session. And, and I said to her, I said, well, when she came home with you, how did you treat her? You know, how, how were you with her? And, and she said, well, I just treated her like a regular, you know, 12 month, 18 month old. And I said, well, did you rock her? Did you sing to her? Did you, you know, play some developmental games with her? And she's like, no, again, I, I just treated her like a, you know, a, a regular four, you know, 18 month old. And I, and then I shared with her the philosophy. And this goes back to my mentor, uh, Dr. Viola Brody and the developmental play therapy, where we don't use toys to work with them. We work with them at the pre-symbolic level. And we, you know, basically the first that I call it first play, because it's the first relationship. It's the first type of play that we have in life. And it's essential. It is absolutely essential. And it involves a lot of touching, a lot of voice, a lot of storytelling, a lot of singing. And so anyway, when I told her the philosophy of how we 
actually need those experiences. We need those experiences because we have to develop a sense of a bodily self first of that I live in my body and how when we get a bodily sense of self, then we develop core self inside, a sense of I inside of us. And so if we didn't have those experiences, then we've never developed it. Now we might be learning A, B, C, but we don't have a sense of a core self. So what Viola Brody would say is that it, you know, if you get an older child and they come back to, you know, when we're able to work with them, she would say, it's not too late. Right. That we can go back and we can help them develop and give them those early experiences, even if they're four or five or six, that they never experienced as she said, and I've seen it in action. You can pick up what you missed from those earlier development experiences. Now with Viola Brody, we were the ones that did the work, but then I had adapted it afterwards because of some of the liability and the issues of touch to a filial, adapted filial play therapy model where we guide the parent to provide that good touch, meaning who does the touching? Mm-hmm. We guide the parents to provide the touching. So then when I told this to this mom, I wanna have to say she got very quiet and she looked at me and she said, you know, I wish somebody had said this to me when I first brought her home yeah. from, you know, the country she brought her from. Yeah. And I, then I looked at her and I said, well, guess what? She said, what? I said, it's not too late. Right. So she just kind of went few. Yeah. So then I was able to give her some techniques, some, you know, developmental games, you know, the ways that she could work with her and be with her and to instigate, you know, just make it like, uh, you know, a, a ritual, you know, of, you know, in the morning, I'm going to do this with you in the afternoon, I'm going to do this in the evening, or, you know, whatever schedule they, they could do it. And if there were other people, they were going to do these first play activities, these developmental games, and it really can turn things around. I have seen it. The earlier you can get to the child, the better. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Lovely. It's really wonderful. And I, I think it's really what I want my parents and audience to hear from you is that it's never too late to you know i was working with a 17 year old the other day and he says you know i i i my my childhood has been has been miserable and it's been destroyed and it's it's been ruined i said and i just smiled and i said it's it's never too late you can still get all of that you know and um and it's really ha- really kind of thinking about how to encourage the parents to invite their children to have the opportunity to do that right so when you have an older child they're resistant they're angry they're hurt they're defensive, they're on guard because of their horrible experiences that have happened. And so I hear parents say, well, how do I reach that child, right? Without getting activated and so thrown off balance myself. Because mm-hmm. parents get dysregulated. When you're with a child who's so dysregulated, yes. it's really easy to get dysregulated when you feel like everything you're trying is not like just not reaching. And not only is it not reaching, it's being thrown back at you um, in, a, in a horrible manner. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm loving the, your, your philosophy or kind of the expansiveness of, you know, I encourage parents, you know, just, just sing while you're washing the dishes, you know, the child mm-hmm. vicariously will pick up on it and want to kind of go, Oh, what's mom doing? Right. Mm-hmm. And mom and dad mm-hmm. can play with each other or mm-hmm. the two parents, whomever they might be can interact with each other. Then we're giving the child an opportunity because 
thinking about wanting to give the child the in utero experience, right? Outside of the utero. So mom, you know, if both parents are singing and cooing and, you know, really kind of enjoying mom's growing belly, then, then I think you can do that in the living room and, and have the child just kind of take it in um, mm-hmm. the piece of it. And that, um, so that I think there's lots of opportunities that we can go into much, much later on detail as, um, <laughs> as I just get excited of, of really picking your brain and loving what you're saying. Um, to be able to give parents lots of opportunities to figure out how to do exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other piece that I think that, um, I think sometimes is the magic to all of this is the eco-psychology, right? Is what, I, what, what in my world is known as forest therapy, forest bathing, um, mm-hmm. of being out in nature and connecting um, to, that seems to help, you know, I work with, I've worked a lot with um, veterans and uh, and really and hardcore, mm-hmm. like just adolescent boys who are just feeling really a lot of anger, right? A lot of anger and hurt that mm-hmm. just seeing to take them out into the forest or taking them out by a tree seems to have mm-hmm. calmed them enough to be able to begin to do what you were talking about, right? With the touch mm-hmm. and something like that. Um, right. So if you want to talk a little bit about the, the eco-psychology in your world and and maybe just kind of then ending with, I, I you know, I'm just a big Milton Erickson <laughs> fan and this, you know, like just the voice and this being able to take someone back into a story, right? The, uh, I always ask, encourage parents to retell their child's story in a way that sounds good to them, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's been born to me. There's a lot of um, Joanne May's work um, when she was, she's, was based out in Minnesota many years ago um, and her work on the narrative storytelling can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. So it's lovely how everything's kind of overlapping here. <laughs> well, you know, I'd love, you know, Milton Erickson, I mean, he was a, a master. And of course, yeah. I would have loved to have been able to, to know him he was yeah. alive. Um, but, you know, I mean, he, he would put people in a trance and then, you know, he would take them really deep. And then what would he do at that time? Yeah. He would, he would tell them a story. Mm-hmm. And so he would tell them a story that paralleled a little bit of the problem and, the, you know, that he, that they might be going through in life. But right. within that story, he would embed some of the solutions mm-hmm. that would be helpful to that person. But they, he did it at that you know deeper unconscious level, to where maybe when they came out of that trance, they might not have even consciously remembered any of the story he was talking about. But because we know the power of the unconscious and these interspersed positive messages that he would put into these, you know, his stories that he would tell um you know change change happens and so and then you know i know we were kind of you know talking about different things here but the the power of nature to heal too um it's it's really an overlooked thing especially we feel for children and you know the um i i mean i will share with you that i i and a couple of a few other of my colleagues have just finished an edited book it's in the process now uh it'll be out the spring but it's called nature-based play and expressive therapies Mm -hmm. uh, healing interventions for children teens and families and um, it's an edited book so i'm really really thrilled about it that you know just because there's so many different chapters on working with children and families and in different ways but you harnessing 
the power of nature in so many different ways that people offer in the different chapters um, to bring healing. Um, so I did write a children's book called the, the Magic Rainbow Hug and it involves yeah. um, kind of a kinesthetic piece to it. But it's, you know, it's about nature. It's nature-based story for children, but also um, how we can add some of the kinesthetic piece within the story that the parents can do with the children. So it can help lower uh, anxiety, can help uh, children with depression. Um, and I give a little instructions in the front of that book. And also for practitioners, just kind of a, a short type of um, kind of, cheat sheet for how you can do this in a quick way within the audience I mean within the office so because yeah. the story might be a little bit longer anyway I'm not quite sure if I'm yeah no that's lovely I think it's just kind of like being able to give a lot of other different options mm -hmm. to parents at this given time mm -hmm. to just be able to recognize that um I think the overlying message I really think Janet and feel free to jump in here is just you know the the beauty of being centered enough to imagine how to play with your child and connect Right. So through the recognizing of that, you know, no toys needed, really. It's just really about sing-songing back and forth. I, you know, eye contact, touch, um, laughing, um, being able to step with, step closer, step away, you know, giving space for all that to take place is um, mm -hmm. a good place to start, even with the worst of worst of kids, and even when parents are really dysregulated themselves. And that will help, I think. And if we do right. that out in nature, all the more better, right? <laughs> you know, because of the concerns of children not having enough time in nature and too much on the technology. Um, and then the book by Richard Louvre, which he wrote actually a blurb for our book um, called Nature Deficit Disorder. Um, well, no, Last Child in the Woods. And he coined a phrase called Nature Deficit Disorder with the concern of children are not getting enough time uh, within nature. Uh, but anyway, just one thing that you said, I just wanted yeah. to kind of jump on that. Yes, children, these type of children that, you know, have a, attachment difficulties um, that, yes, we want to promote eye contact, but we never want to force eye contact. I just yeah. kind of want to mm -hmm. say yeah. it's so counterproductive. You look me in the eye, you know, right, it's like, right. oh, yeah. forget yeah. it, you know, mm -hmm. but if we could have moments where if we are, have, you know, face-to-face -face kind of contact, and then you know there's a moment where you feel met, mm -hmm. where I'm looking in your eyes and I'm seeing deeper yeah. within that moment, then it's like, you know, there's a beautiful connection, but it's not forcing them to do that, you know? And then, you know, so I see your, you know, you can make a comment, I see your blue eyes mm -hmm. and they're shining right now. And, you know, mom loves it when I, get to you know you know see those beautiful eyes sparkling or you know whatever but making a comment it's like because then or what color mommy's eyes and then they look you know what i mean so it's done in a way that is there's no um pressure to it you know because then that's more resistance like look me in the eye you know i think with the, you know with eye contact it is just a matter of giving parents permission to invite their children hey my eyes are over here you know, hey, mm -hmm. I see you. Like I always say to yeah. parents, oh, feel free to say, you know, hey, I see you. Oh, there you are. Oh, there you are. 
I see. Exactly. Oh, there you are. There's my beautiful child. Um, to giving mm-hmm. that opportunity to to play peekaboo to catch him out of the corner of eye, kind of like I've I've got my eyes on you. I I'm watching you. I see you. Right? Exactly. That, that beauty of eye contact is really more of what I'm talking about. Anything forced is not going to work. <laughs> right. No. 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 I, I, and I know you know that. Right? I just felt like no. I thought it was great to bring it up. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure. Clarify. <laughs> Yeah. Ladies, I bet we could go on and on and talk forever. And Janet, we definitely want to have you back. Um, this has been a powerful episode. I think really talking about um, even if just the nugget about uh, the touch and the hug 30 seconds and, you know, the kind of the, the guidelines for parents to go into that and make the most of that moment. So thank you so much for that. Janet, if people want to get in touch with you, how is the best way for them to find you? Wonderful. Well, I, happy to give my email. It's uh, Janet Courtney, PhD at gmail.com. And then I do have a website. It's um, firstplaytherapy.com. And then a parent website is uh, firstplayinfantmassage.com. So they can explore and you can contact me. I'll be very happy to answer any questions that you have. Wonderful. And when the new book comes out, please let us know. We'll put it in our store um, on the site so that people can uh, find it there and and go off to purchase it from you. So uh, be sure to keep us posted about that. Tracy, any final thoughts before we let everybody go today? No, I think just the nugget piece from Janet is really that I really, um, uh, that I get from all of it is the willing, have allowing the child to be willing to receive. Um, you know, this third, the, the length of time, 30 seconds, I think is really important that it's not a quick tap and tap. It's kind of like really connecting and that by all means, the parent really needs to be centered and willing to do that without anger or frustration, which probably is probably might be the hardest piece. Um, so if parents can get this from each other um, of the 30 second hug and the willingness to receive it, you can pass it on to your kids. So <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I'm going to go off and buy a hug timer now. 30 second hug timer. Yeah. So, (laughs) all right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for this episode of the Rad Parenting Podcast. As always, we appreciate all of our listeners. If you have any questions for us or want to learn more about us, of course, follow up on some of our other podcasts. You can find us at fullcirclefamilycounseling.com and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks so much.